If you have your Bibles, or you can go ahead and stand for me if you can. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to chapter 5 in James. That's uh, 1013 in your pew Bibles, in the back of your pew. And let's read what God has for us today. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. And as you do, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the authority of your word that we stand on. And we ask today, Lord, that you would draw our hearts and our affections, as Aikman said, by your Trinitarian love. Draw our affections to you and expose the deception and lies that surround us in this day and age that we find ourselves living in. And we're grateful. The hope is you have not left us alone. You have sent your spirit to indwell in us, to push back the darkness so that the world could see the light. And his name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. On January 30th, 1933, a guy named Adolf Hitler became the leader of the National Socialist German Workers' Party. He, became, he went into power in Germany. His aim was to shape Germany's political and community life in such a way that would fit his own ideas. And this as you guys know, this dictator approach left no room for opposing views for religious or independent organizations or institutions. The whole public life was to be controlled. Two major churches in Germany at the time, and if you were a German at the time, you would either go to the Lutheran church or the Catholic church, was no exception. And in fact, they were forced to be under Nazi control. There was no race accepted outside of the Aryan race. And as we know, what happened to our brothers and sisters of the Jewish race, the attempt on them was to exterminate them. And while this was happening, the rise of the ideologies and philosophies of life for Germany was on the rise. This new idea that we are the superior race and there's no one else like us. And while this was on the rise in the Third Reich, a group of pastors gathered together. And on Thursday, January 4th, 1934, hundreds of pastors gathered and congregated in a town in Germany called Barmen. And together they formed what was first known as the Pastors Emergency League, an underground resistance group of pastors to oppose the Nazi movement. They were initially gathered and led by a man named Pastor Martin Niemeyer, as well as a 27-year-old guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And among the many ideologies being spread within Germany at the time, the Christian movement, which was built around the Lutheran Church, as I said, during that day, was to be in line completely with the Nazi philosophy. 
And one of the things that would be later called out of that resistance group called the confessing church that rose out of that was to combat the lies of the surrounding culture in which they lived in called the Third Reich. And one of the things that they would do every time they gathered together as what was called the confessing church is they would meditate and rehearse scripture together before each meeting. In other words, in order to combat the lies and the ideologies surrounding them, Bonhoeffer and the other pastors knew that if they were going to endure under this kind of persecution and pressure, that they would need to root themselves radically in the truth of Scripture. And I think the most countercultural thing that you could do is, is go to war with the deception and lies sur- surrounding them and allow the Scriptures to shape them and to be their authority. And so a few months after that church gathered or that group of pastors gathered, a few months later there was a church conference in Denmark And leaders of every denomination joined in unity to confess these basic tenets of Christianity that were being completely threatened by the Third Reich. And Bonhoeffer at the time was now the leader of this confessing church. And it was his time to speak. And when he he rose up and he started speaking, he started by asking this question, how does peace come about? And if you think about it, not just peace in War and bombs going off and militaries, you know, invading the area. How does peace go about in a spiritual sense? And he continued by calling his hearers to be courageous in the face of evil. That there was no question who and what he was referring to. It was the heresy and the lies that he saw as he was speaking to those groups of pastors. And he, he ends his talk by saying this. The hour is late. The trumpets of war blow tomorrow. For what are we waiting? Bonhoeffer knew he wasn't just at war with Nazi Germany, but there was a cosmic war raging behind the scenes between good and evil, between the truth and lies. He knew what Paul said in Ephesians 6 so clearly. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of the heavenly places. And James, in our passage today, is not changing the subject. And if you read through it, it almost looks like, oh, this must be a change in topic for James. But it's absolutely not. In fact, he's still talking to the church that he's writing this letter to on how to endure in an age of, of lies and deception and temptation to go outside of the ways of Jesus. He's saying behind your impulse for falsehood is a war raging against your soul. And Bonhoeffer knew what James wrote. If we allow a lie or an ideology to take root in our lives, it affects not just what we say, but the motives behind it. It starts small, but when sin takes root, it becomes easier, easier to justify the more and more we do it. And the more we give ourselves over to an ideology, 
of the, of the world rather than the ways of God. We damage greatly our spiritual maturity. And so our fight today, our fight for endurance, according to James, is, is not a fight first and foremost about not telling lies. It's deeper than that. It's a fight against Satan to take back control of our minds from captivity to lies and being liberated by the weapon of truth, which is scripture. So if I had one thing I'd love for everyone to walk out today with, it's this, that when we accept one sin, that will always lead to more sin. When you accept one sin, it will always lead to more sin. Now, a few things before we get into the context of our passage today on ideologies and lies. Number one, that is that the truth behind a lie is that it never stops at one lie. See, James knows that when life gets stressful and circumstances are uncertain and the stage lights uh, appear on us, we are quick to say the things that we don't mean, believe the things that we don't believe, and the ideas uh, that we don't believe aren't true about God and ourselves. And if how we endure in this race is by valuing God's ways over um, all other ways, then sin never just appears. How many of us have messed up royally, and have said, where did that come from? Anyone? It's not, a, not just something that appears. It's the fruit of what you're depositing in your life. So when you lie or you eat too much, say something you shouldn't have, then you actually need to, you actually are, was, What's actually happening is something is creeping out. It's not that something's creeping out of nowhere. It's the result of days and weeks of you or me feeding into the temptation rather than feeding our spirit. So number one, the truth behind a lie is that it never stops at one lie. And number two, when it comes to ideologies and lies, the deception behind taking an ideology as truth is it puts humanity at the center. And this is why Jesus, uh, during his time here on earth in John 8, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, these are the people that go to church on a daily basis, uh, everyone. So here we are. He says this. He says uh, to the Pharisees of the day that you are of your father the devil. That'll take someone off, right? And your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, Jesus says, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And see, the common denominator And all of our ideologies and the lies that you and I can fall into on a daily basis is that we put, is that they put humanity and its ways and our moral reasoning and our autonomy at the center, not God and his ways, his judgments, and his loving authority. Today we're told that truth is relative. And we're told that no one can hold us accountable outside of the courtroom of self. And when this is the case, the church, 
which we are very much a part of this culture, we attempt to find our way in society by mixing the ways of Jesus with the narrative that puts self in the driver's seat of our lives. God wants us to love ourselves, but he also says all that same energy that you put into loving yourselves, actually put that into your neighbor. But the lies that we encounter may look a whole lot different in our culture than what we're going to see today in James' culture. But we should treat them the same. Because all deception is the same. And I love what uh, author David Tackle says. I love his quote here. He says, understanding that deception plays a central role in virtually every spiritual struggle admittedly requires a radical paradigm shift. But that one shift makes all the difference in how we are made whole. Because as long as we continue to focus on faulty behavior as our biggest problem, we will expend all of our energy trying to deal with the effects of sin without ever coming to grips with the underlining causes of sin. Deception was Satan's strategy in the garden. Eve Is God keeping something from you was the question he asked her. And it was the first time she had ever heard that question. Could it be possible? Imagine Eve in paradise living in perfect uh, harmony with the Father, with her creator. And all of a sudden, this this enemy, this snake-like being comes and asks her this question. And she's now stood there. And it's a radical paradigm shift for her. And every part of our lives is based upon those core beliefs that we hold about ourselves and God. And in that moment, she thought, could I be God and is God keeping something from me? And if our beliefs are accurate, then our judgments will tend to be better. But to the extent that our beliefs are distorted or poorly formed, our discernment will be faulty. See, this is what the ancient church would call giving into the ways of the world, or as the Old Testament would call, idolatry. Idolatry. See, no one is claiming that the temptation for the church today is all of a sudden we're going to abandon our belief in God and become and buy into atheism. But what we do see in the history of God's church and his people is the temptation of buying into the ways of the world and idolatry creating a sort of DIY kind of faith, a do-it-yourself kind of faith, and it's age-old. And Israel faced uh, this temptation, as you and I do, every single day. And this idea that I can slide past God's ways and his judgments still get, and still get the benefits of the godly life, this is not only a distorted view of the ways of Jesus, but it's also a distorted view of self. And when Satan tempt Eve, tempted Eve, it was the first time they thought they could be their own gods, captain of their own ships, and they immediately fell for it. Because we've been doing the same thing ever since, how do we follow Jesus and develop a persevering faith in an age of deception and ideology? Now, to add some context, and that was kind of my opening, so buckle your seatbelts. Here we go. Uh, to add some context uh, to, 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 
James chapter 5. Uh, the culture that James is speaking to is the one that over time saw some incredible abuse to the scriptures. For an example, uh, the rabbis uh, began teaching that an oath was not binding unless, unless you left God's name in it. So literally, I, I kind of looked it up. Historically, what people would do is I swear by my beard or this or that. And they could, that was a loophole for them to not have to uh, keep their word. So their yes didn't always mean a yes unless, you know, you said, I swear by, uh, you know, Yahweh or God. And then you'd, you'd be uh, bound to what you say. It was a system where oaths and truths uh, telling was no longer of value and accepted the ways to get out of an oath. They accepted one sin, which leads to more sin. And the ideology of the day for James was they created a way to lie and to make a justification for it that appeared as if God could not hold them accountable. I love what Paul says in Colossians, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put on the, or off the old self with its practices. So Paul literally compares our lying to the old self. And so James uh, responds not only by saying don't lie, he's speaking against now the wider culture of the day, the wider narrative. Otherwise, this seems really, again, really random for James to just put this in here. But we know in this section on endurance what he's speaking to, and he's speaking to the church in an age where lies are now being accepted, which he also would know leads to more sin. But again, he's speaking to those powerful forces. And so James responds Above all, my brothers, let your yes be yes. Do not swear, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no. And what he's doing is he's pulling this straight out of his, step, his uh, half-brother Jesus' uh, words in the Gospels. And in Matthew 5, we, uh, Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, says this, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it is the footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make your own, white, or your own hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. And anything more than that comes from evil. What James is ultimately, and Jesus is saying, is if you call on anything in creation, you are still dragging God as the creator of all things into it. So when it comes to truth-telling, James is calling the church to what, to what would it be, to what would it look like in your day right now to live in radical truthfulness? Because it's never only about what we say, although that does carry a huge weight, right? But it's also about what's behind those words that uh, reveals our current heart, heart posture. And this is so easy for us to fall into because one small lie sometimes, especially in the world that you and I live in, one small lie could lead us to growth in our career. It could put more money in our bank, make us look better in front of someone else. We live in an era of social media where we can create this sort of false narrative and self um, online and deceive our followers and, 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 and the people uh, on, on Facebook into believing your life is what you want them to believe it is, but behind the scenes, you're in complete and absolute turmoil in your life. 
And I think what James is communicating to the church is that the greatest tragedy is when you begin believing that this is just a small thing. So how do we follow Jesus and not fall into the deceptions and ideologies and lies of the day? Ephesians 4, Paul says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So first, in order for you and me to speak the truth, we need to know what or who the truth is. Bonhoeffer, uh, during the the time of the confessing church, what did he do to prepare uh, to endure during a time of severe uh, spiritual battles and spiritual warfare? Well, for him, it was about reading Scripture. For us, we would say it's meditating on Scripture, right? One of our apprenticeship practices. It's Scripture meditation. In order to speak In love, your mind and heart needs to first be there. Truth begins fundamentally at the head and the heart level. Shout out to Dr. Aikman. The Old Old Testament prophets made this connection as well between the exile of the nations and the lack of truth. In Hosea 4, it says, My people are destroyed from the lack of knowledge. You have rejected knowledge. A people without understanding will come to ruin. Isaiah 5 says, Therefore, my people will go into exile for a lack of understanding. And we know the Galatians as well in the New Testament believe this sort of faulty, off-brand presentation of the gospel and lost their way. It's not first about changing the tools or modifying our behavior, but it's about a radical heart transformation. Your heart will always want to make yourself look better and not forgive your neighbor. And only when we begin to encounter this kind of truth that challenges our inner world do we begin to see how malformed our souls have really become. And if we go back to Matthew 5, where James is getting this quote from, what Jesus is communicating to his apprentices as he's uh, preaching the Sermon on the Mount, it's not first, don't take an oath, because we know that God did in the Old Testament. We know Paul does in the New Testament Uh, but that you should be living holistically in such radical truthfulness that you don't need to swear by anything because what you tell people is the truth no matter what. And then Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount by famously saying, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You can also say, be holy as I am holy. And I love what that, uh, that, you know, perfect, what it literally means is to be mature and complete. And if you uh, look at what the word holy means, first, it's not first separate yourself, which, of course, we want to separate ourselves from the gods of the age. But first and foremost, what God is saying is holy or perfect, meaning be dedicated to me as I am dedicated to you. Be as dedicated to me as I am dedicated to you. Be mature and complete. The way of endurance is maturity and being complete. I think what James wants his listeners to know is that if you're buying into the cultural narrative, that this kind of, that this kind of lying is okay. 
then you're not complete. And you're certainly not maturing in godliness. You're not practicing dedication to God like he is dedicated to you. Guys, this one has really weighed on me heavy. This one little verse on lying and deception. Why? Because we live in a day and age of lies and deception, right? And so my prayer for us today has been this whole weekend, as I was flying back from seminary on a Saturday, as I was looking at my sermon, I was praying, God, in our church, would you push back the darkness and awake the sleeper to become the light of the world in an age where darkness seems to be winning all the time? Amen? And so how do we, how do we grow in radical truthfulness in a secular age? Well, first of all, we need to fight the right fight because I think some of us are fighting with tweets and good points and others are de- deconstructing your faith and losing every sense of orthodoxy. Second Corinthians, Paul says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Some of you are asking, why do I keep messing up? Or maybe you're just deconstructing your faith right now and piecing apart every piece of orthodoxy in the scriptures, which, by the way, orthodoxy, the ortho means, in in the Greek, it means uh, uh, right, and doxa meaning belief, right belief. So you're taking apart what is rightly believed about God, the God of the scriptures, and maybe it's because you've been hurt or you, 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 know, you see an injustice on TV or it's an attempt to dump the religion of the West and just love better. And maybe at times, church, we do need to question our role in all of these things. But instead of questioning your role, what are we doing? You're questioning God's word. And sometimes there are cultural things that we need to, to tear apart. Amen. But Paul's question to you and me in 2 Corinthians is, why are we fighting a spiritual battle with the flesh? Now, that word flesh, if you're new to church, just means at your deepest levels, giving into your desires. So in other words, are you fighting your desires on your own or with the right belief about who God is and who you are and fighting with the weapons of truth? which is to take and put it into our language, our VCC language from our apprenticeship practices. Three of those, and all of them really are, uh, can, can apply, but the three would be scripture meditation, right? Meditating on, meditating on God's word, getting right belief in, the, in our very core of who we are, unceasing prayer, praying now, then, and later, and then pray some more, right? And then living life together in our calm groups, leaning on one, each, one another, building each other up as we apprentice Jesus together. I love what my, uh, me and Heath share the same professor. I love what uh, Dr. Gary Bershear says, someone I greatly look up to. He says, the world is Satan's domain where his authority and values reign. And though his deception makes that hard to realize, if you are of the world, then it all seems right. 
If you're fighting the flesh with the flesh, then it's possible to be living in deception and at the same time feel like everything is right in the world. We may not have a rabbi up here teaching us loopholes on how to get out of our oaths and our promises. But in a similar way, we are up against a culture and even some popular Christian leaders that want you to believe truth is rooted in what you desire versus what the God of the cosmos says. So is there another way? Is there another way in the age of deception and lies? Is there a way for us, church, to endure? I think there are. And next fact, I know there are. These apprenticeship practices that we're so passionate about here that we see Jesus lay out in Scripture that can actually, they actually do work and keep us from falling into the lies and ideologies of the day. But number one is uh, we need to move from truth uh, being a moral standard to all transforming. And I think a lot of times what we take Scripture as is a moral standard rather that's something we need to get up to, live up to. That's why some of us, maybe you came coming to church the first day, and maybe this was a hard thing for you because you came here and you felt like, I got to look right, present myself right, I got to get right. And that's, how, that's your view of the scripture as a moral standard to live up to. And the Old Testament law, even the Old Testament law was never meant to be something that the Israelites lived up to, but instead was something that was meant to bring them to the end of their own efforts. I love what uh, author David Tackle says. He says, what we need to understand is that in order for truth to be transformative, it must be encountered as a light that illuminates our own internalized beliefs so that we can be held and replaced by God's perceptions and interpretations of our own expressions, experiences. In other words, our perceptions of reality begin to reflect God's perceptions and our interpretations on all of life become about how life is supposed to work in the kingdom of God and it combats the lies of the kingdom of our age. So number one, how do we endure? We need to move from truth being a moral, just a moral standard to all transforming. And number two, knowing that truth liberates you to live the life that God intended. When Jesus says to know the truth and that you know, truth will set you free, what he's talking about quite literally is the relationship between you and truth should look like uh, between a mother and her newborn baby. And when you fully internalize the truth and its significance, you are liberated to be obedient and to live more in line with how God intended your flourishing to be without this internal war opposing you at every turn. And so there's four ways that I want to take out to fight in this age of deception uh, that I hope is helpful. Number one is battle your flesh with the weapons of truth. The weapons of truth being scripture, meditation, unceasing prayer, and life together. And then number two, take every thought through the filter of God's word. Number three, commit yourselves in an age where deception and lies and truth is all relative, commit yourself to radical 
truthfulness. And number four, this is a personal one that I say to myself all the time, something I try to live by on a daily basis, is that to be quick to repent and then fall on grace. Be quick to repent and fall on grace. Church, the truth is we all want the same thing to flourish, to enter into the reality of what it means to live life to the fullest. And I think what James is bringing his church back to is that you're going to be tempted to believe that taking an oath or believing a lie this way is the way to human flourishing and how your faith will endure because it's going to present itself at times as if you're getting away with something or this is the way forward to advance in life. But do we really want, as James said earlier in his letter, to, be, to live a double-minded life? No, we all want to be loved and fully known. And what if we all knew at our very core of our being that placing everything in the light, pushing back the darkness, exposing our sin for what it actually is, for the sake of growth and moving forward in the practices of apprenticeship with Jesus is where real freedom is actually experienced. Amen? What if today we started trusting the ways of Jesus over the ways of the culture and we committed ourselves to radical truthfulness over being perceived as right or wrong with my Facebook followers? And what if we knew if we accept one sin, it always leads to more sin? And I want to leave you with this kind of long quote, but I like it. It's again by David Tackle. He says this, Truth eliminates both where we are and where we are heading. It reveals who this God is with whom we are designed to relate, and it lays bare our own heart and mind in regard to our relationship with God and others. And without that light, we have no way of knowing how to begin, how to relate, who we are relating to or what those relationships will look like when they are working well. He says, truth then becomes a means to a greater end. Our relationship to the God of truth, to his people, and to the world at large. He says the single most important thing that we need to know is that we are designed to experience life in the presence of and in relation to the one true God. And in the end, life-giving truth and relationship to God are inseparable. And relationship with God is the source of all life-giving truth. And truth reveals to us this life-giving God and what it means to have a relationship with him. And this is why he says we both why both truth and engaging with God are so transformative in nature and why they so often lead us back to the twin themes of healing and growth. Because in our malformed state, we understand neither truth nor what it means to have connection with God. We need to be healed in the broken places of our lives from those things that have taken their toll on our soul and from the damage done by our own malformed choices. And we also need to grow up in the new ways that were previously unknown to us, the ways of God. Amen? So quick, two quick reminders. Number one, 
We fight for endurance in an age of deception by battling your flesh with the weapons of truth, taking every thought through the filter of God's word, uh, committing ourselves to a radical truthfulness in an age of lies, and let's be quick, church, to repent and fall back on grace. And if we accept one sin, what happens? We accept others. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word, for your truth. Lord, I pray as a church that you would, again, push the darkness back. And as a church community, and sometimes difficult place, may we not run from our calling, but be awakened by your light to be your image bearers in an age of deception and to speak truth no matter what may be the consequence. Lord, we know that we can only get this kind of boldness from your Holy Spirit that you've promised to give us and to dwell in us. So we thank you, Jesus, for coming into our mess dying in our place, rising again on the third day and ascending to the right hand of the Father and sending your spirit for the sake of the glorification of your Son and the glory of the Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for who you are in us. We praise you, God.